Accomplishment Coaching is proud to present the following fine programming. Accomplishment Coaching, where coaches lead and leaders coach. AccomplishmentCoaching.com. Welcome to The Coaching Show with your host, Master Certified Coach, Christopher McCollum. And welcome to another edition of The Coaching Show. I thank you. This is another of our home editions. You can play this game at home. Uh, my name is Christopher McAuliffe, Master Certified Coach, as you heard. This here in, in our non-studio today with me is Alex Terranova, the longtime, long-suffering co-host of this program. Alex, how are you? I'm good. We're like, we're probably like equidistant between where you live and where I live in the studio, right? It's like in the middle. So we can like do our home energetic. We're like in the studio. It's, it's, you know, there's no facts anymore. So we can say we're in the studio and not be in the studio. <laughs> you seem jaded today, uh, but you do have your kind of raspy voice on. Have you been doing up to no good? Anything you want to share with the class? Just doing some vocal exercises this morning over my coffee, trying to, you know, trying to sound like I'm, I could be in Boys to Men or something like that, you know, trying to, trying, you know, trying to become more of a well-rounded human being. No, I'm, I don't know Boys if I'm jaded. Boys to Men, let me just look that I, up. I, I started reading, um, I've been reading some really good books and they keep leading me. I started reading Blind Spot last night and Blind Spot's super interesting because it goes into the psychology around what we can't see, not just like, hey, you're biased but actually looking at like how the mind actually works to the things we can't see, you know, from like, it uses like optical illusions to then demonstrate how we do this with people. And so I don't know if I'm jaded. I, it might just be, I'm like disturbed by the world that we live in <laughs> and our humanity. Um, you know what? That's in your is mind. Too much for you? Is this too much for you? Too early? Am I bringing it in? Am I, I was, I was actually comparing early? in my mind. I was comparing your evening, like at, at home reading book. You know, uh, enhancing your intellectual gifts. And then I thought about my evening, where I was. You know, uh, there was a lot of yelling at children about pet care and things like that. We there was an there was a rerun of a of a. Uh, some sitcom and then uh we played a game of scrabble which ended in tears <laughs> so i just want to say that you and i live very different lives yeah mine actually started with tacos and micheladas and then was reading yeah. so really even more different as i expand on it what, I, what i'm saying is i hate you um but i did win the scrabble game thanks for asking although there were tears uh let's uh let's get to it okay so we've had all the all the conferences, right? We had last week. We had the ACTO Association of Coach Training Organizations conference. That was with without a doubt. I just complimented the organizers. It was without a doubt the best conference, virtual conference I've attended this year. Um, still a couple of you know spots that could have been improved, but mostly by and large really great. The week before that, and I mentioned this because the uh, recorded sessions are still available. So if you want to reach out to actoonline.org. ACTO online.org and you can register sort of belatedly and get the recordings. If uh, if you like, I also was privileged to speak at the EMCC, the European Mentors and Coaching Council Conference. Let's go with that. And um, uh, all the recordings are available there. Apparently, I didn't do one of the steps, which is prepare a paper. Do you prepare a paper when you speak? <laughs> like like notes of what you're going to say? I don't know. It's it's like, I guess they want, they want me to be more scientific than I actually am. So they'd like oh. to see. Me. So uh, I'll be making the paper after having to, you know, weeks after having delivered the talk and um, presenting that or providing them with that. But that was also an excellent conference. Both of them centered on diversity and inclusion and equity issues this year. And then before that was conversation among masters. I kind of think that's it until we get to the fall where we have like the, uh, the Midwest Regional Coach ICF Coaches Conference. Do you have anything coming up that you want to? I mean, I'm t I, I'm doing some. Uh, I'm taking a course. It's not a conference from LinkedIn. I just found out LinkedIn puts on all these free courses, uh, education courses, and I'm taking one that's on leadership and diversity and inclusion. Um, and two things I've learned. One is I'm not a fan of sitting in front of the computer and learning. It's like worse than school for me. Like it is just give me a book and let me read and write and like, or, or interact with me, but sitting in front of a computer, it's, I feel like I don't retain anything. So it's actually not really effective for me personally, but 
what I am getting. I'm sorry. Is, I'm sorry. What I, I wasn't paying attention. Yeah. <laughs> what I what I what I think I've gotten is all my clients are leaders in some. Maybe they might just be a leader in their business, in their small business. Um, you know, five, twenty employees, whatever it is. Maybe they're leaders in their household or their church or wherever. And what I've recognized is the things I'm learning from reading books on diversity, inclusion, um, bias, racism, things like this is actually really helpful for my practice because every person that works in one of these companies has an opinion about what's going on. And a lot of the leaders I'm working with don't know what to say. They don't want to offend someone on the left or the right or the middle or up or down. And they're, and they're either saying the thing that is not going well or they're not saying anything at all. And they're not big companies, so nobody's talking about them. But it's really been great to be able to help them create who they're going to be and the plan that they can actually bring to their companies. So even though I don't like the online learning, it's helped. Thanks for sharing that. And I super duper want to talk about that. But I want to bring in our guests to to include in the conversation. Anything that you want to uh, add before we before we get to the? No, no, no. I'm I'm really excited for our guest. I, I know her a little bit personally, but um. She's, she's been relevant in some of our accomplishment coaching colleagues' lives recently, so uh, helping them. So it's kind of awesome to have her here. Very good. Um, by the way, do you want to introduce her since, she's, since that's your friend? Sure. Um, <laughs> I've got uh, Accomplishment Media. Did you see this Accomplishment oh, Media? That's fancy. Man, we've been talking about this for a while, but it's nice to see that you get new things while we don't have an office to share or a studio to share. I appreciate exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. On all the money I'm saving, I'm spending it on, on you're, money. You're probably the guy that goes on vacation and does all the things your wife wanted to do when you're on vacation without her. I see how that is. That's why. <laughs> so serious because it's true. All right. Let's introduce Kristen. <laughs> Um, our guest today is uh, Kristen Roberts. So Kristen is a licensed attorney. She's the founder and managing attorney at Trestle Law. She develops and implements brand licensing and certification programs, which help uh, create millions of dollars in revenue for her clients. She's been recognized as one of the top intellectual property attorneys in her industry. She has won numerous awards, including Super Lawyers, which makes her sound like a superhero. Right. She has been San Diego's Business Journal's 2019 Businesswoman of the Year finalist she, and best of the bar four years in a row. She has spent a decade bringing her expertise and knowledge relating to identifying, prioritizing, and monetizing company and personal brands that make her go-to attorney. I don't like reading. Let's talk about this yeah. doesn't work for me. Let me just give you some personalness. I'm doing it like you do it, Christopher, and I don't like it. You read people's bios. So let me tell you about Kristen. Kristen helped. Yeah, it was. Kristen, uh, I, I know Kristen because my girlfriend is a, um, I don't know what you call it. She's like a junior attorney or an associate attorney in Kristen's law firm. And what I know about Kristen is she's super passionate about helping people protect their ideas, helping people understand whether it's like copyright, branding, trademark, which is which. Do you own it? Do you not own it? Um, she's also really passionate about diversity issues, uh, helping women uh, rise up in not only the legal field, but whatever field they're in. Um, she's a mother. She's a wife. She does a lot. Uh, let's, talk, let's talk about the elephant in the room. Kristen, how old is your daughter? She is about <laughs> to turn 20 months. Now, here's the thing. Yeah. You named your daughter Billy. Mm -hmm. And I love this, but I'm a huge Billie Eilish fan, but only for like a year. So here's what I need to know is, sure. is your daughter's name related in any way to the rise of the pop star Billie Eilish? No. Our daughter is named after my husband's father who passed away and his name was Bill. So we decided to name, when we were going to have kids, we decided regardless if we were having a boy or a girl, they were going to be named after my husband's father. So William, if it was a boy and Billy, if it was a girl, um, we ended up having Billy. And then also I uh, grew up, I, I don't know if Alex mentioned this to you, but um, my background is also in singing and music. I'm a classically trained opera singer, but I came up singing torch songs and I'm a huge oh. Billie Holiday fan. So it ended up working out that Billy was just the perfect name for our daughter. So, Oh, I'm so glad I asked. All right. <laughs> Alex, your question, counselor. You're with <laughs> well, I think we should start with like what the reason I really wanted you to be here and share your, your knowledge and your experience with us 
most of the audience that listens to the show are coaches, from beginner coaches to very established coaches. And one of the things that I've recognized in my five, six years of being in this field is nobody knows what the difference between a trademark, a copyright, and a patent is. And they're in, coaches are putting themselves in those mud pits all the time. They're like, should I patent my name of my company? Do I trademark this? Do, what about my book? And nobody knows, and they're doing it wrong. And then things happen like they find someone else using their name, or someone sends them a letter telling them they can't use their name. And I think it'd be really helpful to kind of have it be really flat so, so coaches can understand as I'm starting out in this industry and I'm growing my business, like some basics of what they need to know before they would even call someone like you. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's a really good point, Alex, because it is, it is something that a lot of people don't necessarily understand. And um, I always try to break it down as easily as I possibly can, because there are, there are a lot of intricacies in intellectual property law. And that's why it is important if you do decide to work with an attorney to work with somebody that actually practices IP because I, I work with a lot of, I see a lot of attorneys out there dabbling in things like trademark law because they're business attorneys. So they're like, well, I should also do trademarks as well. But trademarks are more complicated than a lot of people think. Um, but when you think about them, I always think of them as buckets. So you're, when you say intellectual property, think of intellectual property as like the umbrella the, under which patents, copyrights, and trademarks all sit right? So that's sort of your whole, that's the whole enchilada. That's all of it together. That's intellectual property. And when you hear intellectual property portfolio, that's what, those are the intangible assets that your business owns uh, that fall under those three categories or buckets, trademark, patent, and copyright. So trademark is uh, any word, symbol, phrase, design, sometimes sound, sometimes color, but the real point of a trademark is a source identifier. So they identify the source of goods and services to consumers. And what a trademark gives you is a limited monopoly. And it's limited in the sense that it gives you the right to stop other people from using that word, symbol, phrase, design, etc in connection with the same goods and services that you're offering. So it doesn't give you this, I can stop anyone in the world from using the same name that I have, but it allows you to stop them insofar as they're doing the same or confusingly similar things that you're doing. So that's, that's kind of, that's the trademark world, but it's a source identifier, right? So identifies the source of goods and services to consumers. So when you're out in the world and you're looking at a product on a shelf, you're going, oh, that's by Johnson & Johnson. I don't know why that company just came to mind. Uh, I do, but we can't talk about it. They've yeah. been in the news. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah the, their Band-Aid case has been, has been or case, I, I call everything cases, but um, their Band-Aid uh, program just rolled out. So it's owned by Johnson & Johnson. I believe, I believe Jimmy Kimmel said something like, they are literally putting a Band-Aid on the problem of racism. Yeah, yeah and there are, I mean, that's... I, it ignores the fact that there have been other companies in that space for a while, like Roundages, for example, but um, regardless. Um, so yeah, that's trademark. So copyright are actually, a, it's actually a bundle of rights. So there's a big, there's the Copyright Act, right? So, but in short, copyright protects artistic works fixed in a tangible medium. So that would be your guidebooks, your handbooks, anything that you've written, a book, an ebook. Um, sound recordings, your podcast recordings, for example, would fall under copyright. Um, anything, I say artistic because it's got to be uh, your own artistic creation. So it can't be like, oh, I'm taking somebody else's and I'm rewriting it. It has to be your own sort of creation. Um, but music falls under that, video recordings, all that, all the stuff, all that stuff goes into copyright. But fixed in a tangible medium is important because it can't just be the idea in your head, right? It has to have been put to paper or put onto into the medium um, within which that it, it applies. So if it's a video idea or a movie idea or a documentary idea that you have, you have to have actually recorded that. You can't just say, well, I've been thinking about recording this video, therefore it's protected by copyright. And then patent is inventions right so that and these are very basic definitions of all of them there's a lot of like i said intricacies that go into each but patent protects things that are useful and novel so 
any kind of ideas for inventions, like things that will help you do something. So I created a, a hammer that nails in 15 nails at once. I'm patenting the spring or the coil or the mechanism that helps that machinery work. And that's really how you want to think about trademark, copyright, and patent. For the most part, the majority of businesses live in the trademark and copyright world, unless they're sort of doing something, a, a product that has an element of it, that's a new invention, a novel, useful invention. For the most part, um, businesses that are in the coaching world and things like that are not typically going to have patentable items, but that's not to say that they never could. What, uh, this is going to be a very strange left turn. What about people's, uh, the use of people's images or faces or um, likenesses? So that's for example, a great question, Christopher. Yeah, that's a great question. So there are situations where they can actually bridge between trademark and copyright. So for example, a your personal name could be trademarked if you're offering services under your personal name. And if somebody uses your name to sell their own services or similar services or makes it look like they've associated themselves with you without your permission, you theoretically could go after them for trademark infringement. But um, rights of publicity typically fall in the more the copyright world. Um, however, there's really no federal rule for right of publicity. It's more, each state has its own rights of publicity rules, but generally that would fall imaging. If they took a picture, if someone took a picture of you and started using your headshot without your permission, um, that would fall under copyright. Uh, there are some, there are some, like I said, intricacies about how you can enforce those rights. So neither trademark nor copyright require you to register anything. Wow. Um, because in trademark law, rights are not established by registration in the United States. They're established by use in commerce. And same with, um, Copyright. Copyright is not, your rights are not established by registering the copyrighted material. They're established by that, that fixing in the tangible medium and then the publication that you, so once you kind of release it to the world. So once you fix that in the tangible medium, you've got technically copyright protection, but being able to sue for infringement does require registration. And then there are also damages that can get cut off um, statutory damages under copyright law that can get cut off if you don't register um, within a certain period of time. So for example, if somebody infringes on your copyrighted material, but you haven't registered that material yet, you have to then go register that material in order to be able to bring a lawsuit under the Copyright Act and those damages that would have been available all of that time before you discovered the infringement can sometimes be cut off. That's sad. So let me see. Um, so first of all, it sounds like I should change my brand name from Rolling Stones Coaching. Okay. <laughs> well, okay, so that's second. a great question, right? Because the question isn't whether or not you could be confused with the band, right? The question is, are it's not just the name, but it's also the goods and services that you're offering under the name. Uh -huh. and so and so there are actually companies out there that are very famous that have the same names. For example, there's a very famous airline company called Delta. Um, <laughs> and then there's also a very famous faucet company called Delta. Oh, that's right. So there, the, nobody is confused that those companies <laughs> are offering, that they're related in some way or that they're endorsing each other in some way because the goods and services being offered under those brands are so widely different. So that's where trademark law gets very tricky and specific because it's not just about whether the name is identical, but also whether it's confusingly similar. So on that same line, you could have a name that is different from somebody else's name and, it, and be in the same industry and still be infringing on that person's trademark because the name evokes a similar impression. The commercial impression of the name is still same, uh, similar. Great. So we couldn't start... Um, Delta Airways, for example, exactly intentional, or um, but Delta Softball Company, no problem. 
my, depending on whether or not there's another Delta softball company out there or a company that makes baseball bats, for example, or a company that makes helmets for or, or batting cages, right? So it's not just, you have to also consider the industry itself that you're looking at um, and whether or not there might be things um, related. So maybe not necessarily exactly the same, but look at the industry itself and what that industry covers and then you'll be able to tell whether or not there might be a problem. This this is really good because this so something I learned from from you for like from your firm basically was this idea that it's great sometimes that we come up with the, all these creative ideas but sometimes we get so far ahead of ourselves that now we're like stuck on an idea that we have that is actually not the best for our business and I want to tie this back to Christopher's company, Accomplishment Coaching, does all this training of coaches. And one of the things I noticed when I went through Accomplishment Coaching and, and when I was mentoring coaches is they get all excited about the name of their company. They get right. excited about the video series they're going to do and the course they're going to create. And they get tied into this, like, it's going to be called, like, transform your life, whatever, right? And then they find out that maybe they can't or maybe they do it. And they, what's, like, a good... Speaking to coaches, like what would be, you know, if you're, if you're not going to just be building a practice where you just have clients, but you want to build something that's bigger than just one-on-one -on -one clients, what's the process? Like, is it best to like meet with someone to search online? Like how do they not fall in these like common pitfalls? Yeah, I would say to start thinking about if you're, if we're, if we're talking specifically about branding right now, I, that really is falling in the trademark realm. So let's talk about that. And let's focus, and I would say focus on the spectrum of strength of a trademark because trademarks are evaluated the strength of a trademark. The stronger a trademark is, the more likely it will be registered. Um, the more likely it can be, the registration might not be as big of a deal or might not be as difficult because it's a very, very strong mark. Um, obviously, it needs to be available as well, but strength is the first place an attorney will turn to when evaluating whether the mark has a chance at registration. And the USPTO, the United States Patent and Trademark Office, um, evaluates trademarks on a scale. The scale goes from one end is really, really weak or completely not registrable at all to very, very strong and a very good chance of registration. And the weak marks are marks that are known as generic. So generic marks are never entitled to registration because they describe or they identify the genus of the thing that it that you're doing. So for example, if you were selling, um, if you were selling, well, aspirin as the example I always use, you couldn't call your pill aspirin because it's a generic phrase or generic term for that pill itself. But the funny thing about aspirin is, is it actually used to be a registered trademark. It was owned by a company and then it committed what's known as genericide because people started using it so ubiquitously to describe the thing that it lost that it lost that source identifier. Nobody recognized it as as coming from that that particular source anymore. Yeah. Um, and so there there are that's why a lot of companies will say things like don't say Kleenex when you ask for a tissue because Kleenex is a brand. It's not an identifier. So companies are, are always doing that dance. You want it to become so popular that everybody knows your name, but you don't want it to implode on itself and become so popular that everybody starts using it as a verb or as you know, things like that. So generic marks are never going to be entitled to registration. Um, and then up, up from a step from there are descriptive marks. And these are where I see a lot of companies falling into, and I would say, and I would caution coaching companies looking to brand themselves or their, their coaching businesses, stay away from descriptive trademarks. Descriptive marks are marks that describe an ingredient, quality, or characteristic of the goods and services that they're offering. So for example, if you decided to call yourself Supreme Coaching, that is going to be considered a descriptive mark and not entitled to registration. You, descriptive trademarks are very difficult to get registered because in order to do so, you have to prove an additional step and that's called acquired distinctiveness. Um, the legal term is also called secondary meaning, um, but acquired distinctiveness is really what the, is how most people refer to it. Um, acquired distinctiveness means you've been using it for so long 
or it becomes so famous that everybody just knows it's you, right? So American Airlines is a good example, right? So everybody, that is super descriptive. That's actually what is known as geographically descriptive, um, but it's, it's descriptive of what it is and what they do, but it's been used for so long, no one's gonna think of any other airline except for that airline, right? And so, especially if you're a new coaching business, I just highly recommend staying away from it because you're gonna end up, if you hire a lawyer to help you protect it, it's gonna cost you a lot more money, one, and two, you're gonna have a hard, harder time enforcing it because chances are other people are going to be using something similar, right? Yeah. So always stay away from descriptive. Did you have a question, Alex? No, no, I just wanted to give, I just wanted to point, so like examples would be something like accomplishment coaching. Not a good idea. <laughs> not necessarily, not necessarily. So there are marks that, so that actually brings me to the my next uh, point. Yeah, so. Nice. The next part of the spectrum, right, of strength are suggestive marks, okay? And suggestive marks suggest what the goods and services are or do. And so those marks are considered inherently distinctive or very strong because you're not describing, you're making the consumer take an extra leap in their minds in order to connect what it is that you are or do. Um, and so there are marks that are on that sort of border, right? That are, that are sort that could be descriptive, but also could be suggestive. And I would actually say that's what accomplishment media would do because you don't think accomplishment and think coaching, you think accomplishment and you're like, well, what kind of coach, what kind of accomplishment, where does the accomplishment come from? What kind of accomplishments can I expect to receive that extra leap in the minds of consumers? that's what gets you into the suggestive world. However, it's very, very subjective in when, in when it comes to the examining attorney that gets assigned to your application. So what I think might be suggestive, an examining attorney might go, no, that's descriptive. But a good example of a suggestive mark would be Greyhound, Greyhound bus company, because greyhounds are very fast, they move quickly, right? So you're, you, it kind of describes the service as fast, right? So they can get you from A to Z, you know, very quickly and we're greyhound. Another one is, um, uh, sh believe it or not, shell gasoline is a, a suggestive mark because what creates fossil fuels but shell, right? So it's, that's, a, that's a suggestive mark. Um, so those are good examples of suggestive marks. And those are considered inherently distinctive and strong. So once you get past generic and descriptive marks, you start getting into marks that are considered registrable as long as they're available. So suggestive is the next level up. And then after that are arbitrary marks. Arbitrary marks are marks that are real words. Um, but And if you use those words to describe the actual thing that they, that they describe, they would be generic. So for example, Apple computers, Apple's, if you ran an Apple company, right, that, and called yourself Apple, it would, be, it would be generic. But because they've arbitrarily assigned it to computers, and I actually think they did it kind of suggestively too, but I still use the example because there's a byte taken out of the Apple and bytes okay. and bits and all of that, that's, that's computer stuff. So, um, so it's kind of suggestive and arbitrary at the same time. Um, I, think, I think it's clear that it's a Garden of Eden reference. Anyway, moving on. Yeah. Oh, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so, you, so yeah, there's all kinds of, but um, again, you know, arbitrary marks are marks that, you know, you would, you would take the word that would otherwise be descriptive or generic of the thing it's, you know, representing, but because you've assigned it arbitrarily to your goods and services that are unrelated, it now becomes very, very strong. And then the last are fanciful marks. Fanciful marks are marks that are just completely made up. Um, Yahoo would be one, a good example, or Bing, right? Bing, Yahoo, that kind of stuff. So nice. if you're starting out your business and you're thinking of names, that would be the best place to start, right? Because am I gonna get something that's at least registrable, right? So availability is a different is a different thing. I mean, that's something, that's a, uh, a problem that you can deal with in a later date, obviously start with a Google search. Um, because like I said before, it's not about whether the mark is already registered, but whether or not somebody is already using the same or similar mark in commerce. So if you are a coaching business, 
and you have a name that you've come up with and you think it's awesome, Google it first, right? And say, okay, who else is out there doing something similar? And if you find somebody that, let's say you're a health coach and you find somebody that's out there doing mindset coaching and you're like, well, I, it's not the same. It's coaching. So stay away. Just think of the industry as a whole umbrella and, and not the specific subsets that you're getting into. Um, what are the things? Are you okay if we move if we move from here? I think that was really, really useful and powerful for me. And um, you know, made me think of a whole bunch of silly names for coaching. But if we think about it, most of the tangles that we get in as coaches, and perhaps it's particularly when we're originating our coaching businesses, right? So you've already trained us stay away from things like really good coaching or top quality coaching or things like that, right? You want to, you want to bring something, you know, uh, fanciful ideally, or at least, you know, at least in that arena. What I think coaches get tangled up in though is often IP. For example, uh, there's some sort of fable, I don't even even know if it's true, that if you change something about 30% of it, then it's a new thing and you don't have to. So what I've been aware of through my work through the ethics uh, areas of coaching is that um, lots of times people will take something that they've found somewhere and change it a little bit and then re represent it as their own. Now, aside from the ethical issues involved, you know, taking somebody's things and, and representing them as your own, what are the legal things involved there if you take somebody's stuff and use it without rep so that really depends on what the stuff is that you're taking. So it, um, you know, again, if it's a brand name that you have added another word to, um, it really depends on whether or not you're creating a different commercial impression or whether the commercial impression is the same. So for example, let's say I will, if we use your brand accomplishment media as an example or accomplishment coaching as an example, um, let's say somebody called it they decided to say, well, it's not accomplishment coaching. I'm doing accomplishment training, right? So that would be an example of not creating a different commercial impression because typically adding a generic or descriptive term to the end or at the beginning of another mark isn't going to be enough to get you away from a likelihood of confusion um, issue from a trademark infringement issue. Um, with when it comes to copyrighted materials, That's there, there yeah. really isn't a um, percentage, right? So there isn't really like a, a percentage that as, as long as I change 30% of it, it's okay. So get out of that mindset because the law does not live in percentages. The law does not live in um, for the most part. There are some tests that are like, if you meet these four factors, you know, you'll be vicariously liable for an employee's claim or something like that. And, and that those things exist, but there's still a totality of the circumstances analyses. And that's a lot of how the law works. So get out of the mindset, um, get out of the mindset of, I need to, you know, change this percentage or this much of the thing and I'll be fine. Right. Um, and instead think of, um, instead you want to think of it like, am, am I keeping the core of what it is, um, that this other person was doing? Right. And also what is it that you're trying to do with it? So there are certain fair uses that you can make. So if you're citing to somebody else's work and you're quoting them in your work and you're, you know, adding their quote in there, um, to make a point that generally could be said, well, that's a fair use. I'm not taking it from them and appropriating it and turning it into my own. I'm just quoting their work in order to, you know, highlight this point that I'm trying to make. So it really depends. There's, it's really difficult to give an answer for a broad set of things because the copyright, reg copyright infringement is so fact specific. Um, so it really depends on what's, what's going on and what's happening. So um, I think if you gave me kind of an example and said, Hey, would this yeah. be a problem? That might be a little bit easier. 
Tired of presentations with no impact, no inspiration, and no traction? Do dull speakers have you and your team disengaged and distracted by smartphones? Christopher McAuliffe brings energy, insights, and two decades of experience delivered with punch, humor, and heart. Your team will leave energized, uplifted, and with a sense of purpose. Visit ChristopherMcAuliffe.com to bring some heat to your next speaking engagement. M-C-A-U-L-I-F-F-E. ChristopherMcAuliffe.com. Are you seeking to change your career to something that is both fulfilling and challenging? Do you want to help people reach their full potential and strive to achieve their dreams? Would you like to inspire those around you and help create a better world? If you're serious about a career change or just want to explore the craft of personal coaching, contact Accomplishment Coaching with locations across the country in Washington, D.C., Seattle, Chicago, New York City, and San Diego. Accomplishment Coaching is the leading institution in personal coaching. Our staff carefully monitors the entire program live during the training process and have met the strict standards of ICF International to achieve accreditation. Through a focus on quality instruction rather than endless modules of training, Accomplishment Coaching will guide you from your very first step all the way to becoming one of the finest coaches in the world. Visit AccomplishmentCoaching.com to learn more. Accomplishment Coaching, where coaches lead and leaders coach. Christopher McAuliffe is your source for the latest in the world of personal coaching. Whether it be speaking with such luminaries as Deepak Chopra or getting the newest techniques and innovation, The Coaching Show is always on the cutting edge of what's happening now. The Coaching Show is brought to you by Accomplishment Coaching, home of the world's finest coach training program. Here is Christopher McAuliffe, Master Certified Coach. I think where Christopher's looking is like when you... Um, when you go through like a training program, like accomplishment coaching, mm-hmm. you're provided with like hundreds of tools and exercises mm-hmm. and all these things you can do with clients. Right. Some of them, Christopher and his team created like from scratch. Yeah. Some of them evolved from all sorts of things. Some of them you can Google and find in all different places. Mm-hmm. So there's a variety. And I think what he's specifically looking at is when, when as a coach, I think there's two ways. One is when you go through a program like that, it doesn't have to be accomplishment coaching, it could be any. How do you know where you can take something and evolve it into your own versus like, oh, the fact that I'm taking something and evolving it already means that it's a problem. Or if I'm creating like, you know, um, my own tools after something like that, what are my rights with other people? You know, I give them to a client and the client shares them with somebody who shares them with somebody and six years later, I find that some new coach is using the tool I create. Right. Right. Or, Or it's become the Xerox tool. Right. Right. So it depends, again, when you say tool, the tool itself needs to be really specific because I can't really, tools can encompass a number of things. So a good example would be, um, I, I like to use fitness as an example because that kind of, they kind of run similarly, right? So I created this one way of exercising, right? I created this type of workout. I created these, these workout tools. Well, the courts that one of the, the seminal cases in copyright was actually the Bikram yoga case because uh, the guy who invented Bikram yoga, he wanted to copyright his series of movements, right? Um, and the copyright office said, no, you can't do that because they are, they are, those movements are there to help general fitness. They're not a, um, they're not a unique creation that's entitled to copyright protection. And so if it's a, but the way in which the verbiage is written down can be protected. So it's not necessarily the flow pattern itself that's protected, but if you are copywriting materials, like, so let's say you do create a tool, right? And that tool has a very, very specific list of how things should go and you write it a really particular way that's very unique to you, the steps themselves may not necessarily be be subject to copyright protection. They could be depending on what they are, but the steps themselves may not necessarily be entitled to copyright protection. However, the way that you affix them in that tangible medium, the way you present them to the world can be. So it's not it's not like if I do these things with my tools, it'll be protected. You can submit anything for copyright registration and the office will tell you yes or no. Um, but it's a good, it's a good thing to get in your head. Like I can't go out and stop somebody from using these tools that are available to everybody. But what I can do is stop them from taking my document that I created and, and disseminating that willy nilly to whoever they want. And then using that document and implementing it into their program. If they change it, 
it's really going to be whether or not it still evokes that same idea um, of yours, right? So if someone's like, wow, I remember Christopher had this, this document and all they changed were the pictures, right? Then I think you might still have a, a potential claim there, but it really does depend very specifically on the facts. So there really isn't a way for you to say, it's okay for me to take this person's thing. I, the one thing I wanna make clear, I hear this a lot from people. I can use it because it's fair use. It's fair use. I'm not profiting off of it. It's fair use. Fair use is a defense. It is not an authorization to infringe. So fair use, you don't get to say, I'm allowed to use it because it's fair use. That is legally incorrect. You might be entitled to use it because a defense of fair use is available that will stop somebody from moving forward with a, an infringement suit, but they can still sue you for the infringement and then it's up to you to prove that it was fair use. Is there, um, for coaches who are, you know, by and large, mostly uh, solo service providers or in small, you know, clumps <laughs> of partnerships or whatever, uh, it seems like a lot of legal wrangling is likely not something that most of us are either interested in or can afford. So when a coach feels like their IP might be being misused, what's if they had all the money and all the resources, what's the best outcome? Is it just that a cease and desist letter would work? In other words, that the person would stop using or misusing their name or IP or, or invention? Or is there, are there actual substantial damages? Is it, is it worth pursuing in the legal process? Yeah, so if the copyrighted material is registered, there's actually what are known as statutory damages available under the Copyright Act. So those can range from, I believe it's something like, I think it's like $500 or $700 all the way up to like $50,000 per infringement or $75,000 per infringement, depending on, I, I haven't looked at the statute in a long time, but it's a pretty significant amount of money that could be available to you um, if an infringement is found. But keep in mind, those damages are available, um, but you have to go all the way through trial in order to get them, right? So what, what a lot of practitioners do is they use those damages, the availability of those damages as leverage to get some kind of licensing payout to their clients. And so that's, that's kind of what they do is they go, well, I had to get involved, so now the price just went up to X amount of dollars. So um, there are a lot of companies out there that are, some are more predatory than others, but there are companies out there that will monitor um, and troll the internet for like unauthorized photograph use, right? So um, you might get a letter from, um, the Getty is a, is a big one that, that uses you know, the, these kinds of, of tactics because they register everything. And if you use a photograph in connection with your blog, um, they're going to send you a letter saying, hey, you use this in connection with your blog. You know, we want a license fee of $700 or something like that. And what ends up happening is, is there are also predatory attorneys out there who will take those cases and file those lawsuits and then say, and then extort you for money saying, I will only settle this for $5,000 because they know that to get a defense up and running will cost you significantly more than $5,000. Or, and, and this actually just recently happened. I, re I referred this case out to a litigator that I work with up in Los Angeles, but this happened to a client of mine. They posted a tweet and the tweet, um, they, the tweet had an article embedded in it. So they posted the link to the article and Twitter auto-populates that article with a photograph, right? So when you post the link in, the photograph pops up. It wasn't their photograph. They didn't choose the photograph. It just popped up and they got this letter saying you owe us $700 for your tweet that wasn't even that wasn't even a, a profitable tweet. It wasn't like they were doing a sponsored post with the tweet in the picture. Any, it was just a tweet. And, um, and they ignored it because their attorney rightfully said, you know, just ignore it. They're not going to go after you. Well, they got sued. And the lawsuit, what the attorney is a very, very famous attorney. I'm not going to name him, but he's out of New York. That is, has been, um, he has been uh, sanctioned by the bar multiple times for for these kind of predatory actions that he takes against people that are are technically infringing, but 
really probably have a fair use defense available to them and are, you know, but he makes them go through the rigmarole of pay us or will, you know, so it's like doing the motion to dismiss would cost you so much more than $5,000. So that's what he did. He held my client hostage for $5,000 and it was, um, I had to get somebody else involved. That's a special, that really specializes in this type, type of, of predatory behavior because I, I, I said straight up to the client, I said, you're going to pay me so much more money than you'd pay this guy. I said, and that's the sad effed up thing about this whole situation. <laughs> He's extorting you. And so that, that can happen. Um, and that's a, that's a real thing. But if you don't have money for a lawyer, um, and you're using things like the internet to help you promote your business and you run into an infringement issue, there are two things that you can look to, to kind of help yourself. Um, one being whatever platform you're on typically has a way to report trademark and copyright infringement. So Twitter has it, uh, Instagram has it, Facebook has it, pretty much all the social media platforms have internal ways for you to individually report infringement. And if they find it, and it makes your claim more legitimate to have a registration, because if you have that registration certificate and you put the number in the, the, the box and you say these are the, and you link to who's infringing, they'll typically just remove those accounts. It's harder when you don't have a registration, but it's still possible, right? Because again, use and commerce is what counts, not registration. But then it comes down to, well, I used it before them, I didn't. So your argument gets mushier and it gets more difficult to put forth. Um, you also don't need a lawyer to register a trademark. A lot of people try to do it on their own. Um, it's not necessarily the easiest thing, but the USPTO has videos that will show you how to do it. So if you want to learn how to try to file your own trademark, you can do that. Um, most of my clients come over from companies like um, those self-filing companies. I don't want to name them because I don't want to, you know, to do that. But, you know, those companies that will help you do it yourself kind of companies. And I have a lot of clients that come over from those because there just isn't enough handholding and it does become more complicated. Um, and then likewise, there's also the same kind of uh, takedown reports for copyright infringement as well. But more specifically, there's also what's known as a DMCA takedown notice for copyright specifically. Um, that's the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. Um, and the, the a DMCA takedown is for internet. So if you see that somebody has their website and their website copy is identical to your website copy, or they've shared a white paper that you've put out on their website, you can actually report them to the, uh, to the internet service provider. So you would go do a who is lookup search and find who owns the, or who's hosting the domain name. So you reach out to GoDaddy is usually the company that most people go with these days, but um, there's a lot of others. So you can actually go to GoDaddy and say, submit DMCA to take down GoDaddy on Google that, and there will be a whole process by which you can submit your letter to them. And why that's powerful is because typically internet service providers and hosts are not liable for infringement unless they've been put on notice that there is infringement. And once they've been put on that notice and they don't do anything about it, then they can be held liable. So they have a very strong um, reason for wanting to address this and take that down. So those are all things that you can do without the assistance of a lawyer. And there are countless templates available online for that stuff. Um, you can even pay for those templates. You can have a lawyer do it for you um, and, and then do it yourself the rest of the times, right? So that's often how I work with clients is they will say, I want a template for this. And I'll create the template for them and then I walk them through how to do it. So I go, this is how, this is where you want to change it. This is where, so you're getting, it's almost like you're getting lawyer coaching. It's not like, um, oh, here's your document. Good luck. Right. So I highlight things. I show them where things go. I tell them how to think about these paragraphs, how to communicate what these paragraphs mean to the people in their organization, etc. So that can be a very good use of attorney time, not to necessarily just do the document for you, but to also give you that consultation time, that coaching time to tell you this is how you use the template. By the way, Kristen, um, 
lawyer coaching, not that good as a trademark because it's descriptive and yeah. it doesn't, it may not make the leap to, um, right, right, right. And, it, and, and, you know, it's kind of a, a rarer thing, but there is a space where people are buying more and more templates these days, right? There are lawyers who just put their, their contract vaults or contract banks or contract, you know, Hey, download my contract. I get so nervous. The reason I don't do that or I haven't done that yet is because I feel obligated to people that are using my templates because it's not in using a template is not an easy thing. There are things in templates that you might you might be binding yourself to, and you don't necessarily want to bind yourself to those things in the templates. And so it's important to understand how a template works before you start downloading them and using them. Just because a lawyer has drafted it doesn't mean it's the right contract for you. Before, uh, I know Alex wants to jump in here, but before we do, I want to make sure people know how to reach you. You are the founder and managing attorney at Trestle Law. And that's Trestle, like that, uh, for example, a, a train goes over a trestle. Yes, yes, you're amazing. You got it. That's amazing. I want to spell I, uh, it. Yes, thank you. I want to spell it for people. The business website is Trestle Law. That's T R E S T L E. LAW.com. That's T R E S T L E L A W.com. Uh, you're also on LinkedIn, very popular <laughs> under Kristen G. Roberts, Kristen G. Roberts, as well as on the Facebook under Trestle Law and uh, Business Instagram, I understand, very popular, Kristen underscore Roberts underscore Esquire, E S Q. Um, anything else that you want people to, where people can find you or? Yeah, we also have a Trussell Law Instagram account. Um, I am much more active on my personal Instagram or my, it's business really, but it's, you know, more me. Um, you see a lot of this mug going on here. Um, <laughs> doggy, some doggy photos potentially. Yep. Some baby photos too. Right. So it's a little bit of a little mixture of my life, some legal tips. Um, I do put videos out on Instagram um, talking about, you know, trademarks, how to do clearance searches, what to look for. Um, so there is a lot of video content on Instagram. I am in the process of moving that to my YouTube channel. So um, you can also search for Kristen Roberts and there's um, there are there are some YouTube videos up as well. Um, but yeah, that's that's how you can find me. The website, I'm very findable online. You you also have a you a, tr a free trademark cheat sheet right that I do. Uh, where is that on the website? It is. It is. It's on the website. Um, when you go to the website, you just click on the banner um, at the very top. There's a red banner that says "Download Free Trademark Cheat Sheet" here, and that walks you through kind of what we talked about: how to evaluate the mark, how to figure out whether it's clear or not, where to go, uh, what to do, all of that. It it really gives you that sort of baseline to help yourself. And this is great for, you know, all, every coach that almost every coach that I know is like, they get really obsessed with like what their logo is going to be. Yeah. Um, yeah. Know, and it's like, I don't know that the artist that creates the logo is always aware of like, are they going to be able to protect this? Is it, you know, is it, um, is it different from what other people do? So I think that's really important. And that's um, a really good point that you just brought up, Alex, because logos, a lot of times people are hiring others to design their logos, right? We're not all graphic designers. Logos are copyrighted material, right? Because they're fixed, they're artistic, and they're fixed in a tangible medium. Even if you intend to register it as, yeah, Fiverr, 99 designs, all of that. Um, those websites are a little bit less worrisome because you're being bound to their terms and conditions about transfer of ownership. But if you hire like an actual design firm or a person to do the work for you, you want to make sure that they're transferring and assigning all right title and interest to that logo because you don't want them to come back and say, oh, well, our agreement said you could use it for your brand, but I never said you could sell swag. We could get into a whole thing because I'm obsessed with the idea of tattoos on people and oh, like it's yeah. not right? Like if an artist puts a tattoo on an athlete and then the athlete has that tattoo on TV for Nike, the artist can be like, I own the tattoo. I didn't turn over and the, but the athletes like it's on my body. This is the, opens up. Whole other yeah. Conversation. Yeah. 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 Cartoon. Um, the tattoo artist is, is really famous, um, for uh, not necessarily protection, but just in terms of when you see their artwork, you automatically know it was cartoon that did it. Um, so uh, that, yeah, I've, I haven't really followed a lot of the case laws closely as I probably could have, because there's just, there's so many facets to copyright. I tend to work in, um, the published 
publication section. So I work with a lot of books, a lot of authors, literary rights, that kind of stuff. Um, more so than I do the art world, but it's not to say that I don't sometimes step into that world when needed. Yeah. Um, I think you're a great, and you're a great resource. Cause I know you work with, you work with coaches, you work with people that have like programs and they're not all coaches, training programs, teaching programs, consulting programs. And I was told to bring this up because I think it's a common misconception. I wanted you to speak on it for a second. I know one of the fears that new coaches have, or even some coaches, you know, that may have been their business for a while, but maybe they're not making, you know, money hand over foot, is the cost of a lawyer. And I was told to ask you about, is it okay to ask a lawyer to uh, like, yeah. You're being told, are, are you in an abusive? I'm, I'm, I'm being, I was suggested, to call someone? There was a suggested to be to bring this into this conversation, uh, not by you. Um, is it okay to ask a lawyer to like, like, is it okay to try to negotiate with a lawyer? Is it okay to? Absolutely, 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 absolutely. I know it's not a popular they idea. They will always win. Right? But you it's not popular. Yeah. Like, but I always say, if you don't know, so you're running a business, right? I mean, I'm running a business. You're running a business. We all have costs that go into our services, right? So we build, the reason we price things the way we price them is because it's not just the services that you're providing, but there's also the cost to do business, right? So when I take in a case, I am setting up their case file, right? I need to know, be able to access things. I need my team to be able to access things. And so there is a cost that has to be built in in order to set up your file. It's not just, oh, it'll take me three hours, pay me for three hours because we're running a business. Um, however, that being said, I am more than happy to work with clients within reason. So if they say, hey, Kristen, you know, you just said it's gonna cost me five grand, but I only have $1,500 to work with. I can say, well, then let's tailor what you want. Let's, let's take a look at all of the things that you're asking for and let's shave some things out and see what we can do to fit within your $1,500 budget. And I always encourage clients to come into a conversation with an attorney with a budget in mind, because if you, if you're wildly apart from that and you have that conversation with the lawyer and they're like, well, the price is the price. Well, then maybe they're not the lawyer for you. Maybe they're not somebody you necessarily want to work with. Yes, I do believe that you often get what you pay for. And so with costs, the, not the more expensive, the better, but there is a tipping point there, right? Just because we all do the same law, right? And, and if you pay five grand or 10 grand, you're not necessarily going to get a far superior product. And the law is one of those industries that's really weird because we sort of set our own prices, right? So there's no like market forces that are like driving the costs of lawyers. We decide how, how much value we have. And the reason you see lawyers rates going up is because, especially solo attorneys, is because we're selling our time for a living. And so we only have so much time to sell during a day. So you can only really do two things take less work and cap the work that you take or increase your rate to make up for that difference. Right. And so there is all, especially if you're working with um, a solo or a small firm, there is always room for negotiation, larger firms, less so because they, you know, they, they have a lot more overhead to cover, <laughs> but yes, negotiate, ask questions. You want a lawyer to make you feel comfortable because it's a relationship that will hopefully last a long time. Alex, were you told to ask any more, or should we uh, give Kristen the opportunity for a parting thought or maybe parting? It was a vision. I, you know, maybe it was my dreams. I had some vision. A birdie whispered in my ear that I should bring that up. Uh, it's probably Holly. <laughs> There's only one person he listens to. Um, all right, uh, Kristen Roberts, Trestle Law dot com is where you can find her. T r e s t l e l a w dot com. What's your parting thought or parting shot, if you like, today? If you were to give some advice or uh, some words to a few thousand coaches listening, what would you have us take with us today in the area of anything we've talked about? Yeah, so I would say if you are considering building your brand into something beyond yourself, think of how you can then use that brand later on. How is that brand going to make you money and how can you leverage that brand? Because it's not just about having a certificate and putting it in a drawer and shutting the drawer and never thinking about it again. 
your intellectual property, it is a, it is an intangible asset of your business. And that asset can be leveraged to help make you money. And you should be thinking about that from the beginning. People can find out more by reaching out to you at Trestle Law, your firm, trestlelaw.com. And uh, go there immediately and get the free trademark cheat sheet and support with your uh, intellectual property and, and or logo. Alex, anything that you're going to uh, take with you from this? Anything you're going to protect? I mean, I've learned, unfortunately, a lot of these things like the hard way. Um, right? I got lucky when I created Dream Mason that I made up a word and I trademarked it because I could have easily come up with something that would have, you know, not been a good idea. But um, I think there's a cool thing in here, too, is if you make something up, it's like the, the your greatest strength might be your greatest weakness, right? I made up a word, just like my book, Fictional Authenticity, I made up a term. But then nobody's Googling Dream Mason. No one's Googling Fictional Authenticity. So they're not, so in, in the, they're easy to protect, but they're not necessarily commonly found if people are looking for them. So I've learned a lot. And also about how, you know, where I started, how my business evolved. I like that idea that if you're sitting here and you're starting out your business, like what's the vision and the dream? Do you want podcasts? Do you want books? Do you want courses? Because then your name and all this stuff matters way different than if you're just like, hey, I want 20 clients and I want to have a practice. It doesn't matter as much. That's so, exactly right. You're exactly right. Mm -hmm. So I, I really encourage people to, you know, I've done a lot of this in hindsight and had to go back and fix and file for new trademarks to protect different areas of my business. And if you just look at your, the future vision, you can get a big idea of what you actually need early on. Oh. I'm totally going to screw up this whole interview because there was something I wanted to talk about that we haven't gotten to. Do you mind uh, giving us a few more minutes, Kristen? I know that you're, sure. your time is money as we've discussed. <laughs> yeah. Here's what I know. As a, as a CEO, which is at least a part-time job I have, um, I notice how much recently with the, with the extraordinary gains that, um, that anti-racism work has made, at least in the United States recently, you know, the whole Black Lives Matter movement has done more for civil rights in, I think, three weeks than in, you know, most, most of my life. So I'm very excited about it. At the same time, I see a whole lot of CEOs, C-suites and other leaders uh, making stupid, stupid statements, you know, and with the social media, there's so much amplification of stupid things. So I guess it's not really a question so much as a discussion point, but um, you know, what I'm noticing as a CEO is I want to run everything that I say and everything that I write by a whole bunch of people internally. So as to not make an, any obvious stupid statements because CrossFit, you know what I mean? Like things can crumble in a moment with a stupid statement going public. Um, what are your, do you have advice, thoughts, or, or any sort of perspective that you want to add to that? Is it clear? Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I would say we're all going to make mistakes during this journey because America is waking up to a problem that it's had for a very long time. I am, um, black mixed. So I'm, um, black, I'm Puerto, well, my family's actually, my grandfather was from Barbados. So, um, black, um, I'm Puerto Rican, I'm Japanese, I'm Swedish, and I'm Spanish. So, and I'm equal parts of all of those things. And so it doesn't really, um, so I've kind of seen the gamut and in terms of my experiences growing up in a white community and things like that. But I think that we're all going to make mistakes. We are all going to say something that at one point or another that could be viewed or taken the wrong way. And I don't think it's about making the, avoiding the mistake. I think it's about un, being open to learning that it was a mistake and correcting the mistake. And when you mentioned CrossFit, I don't think CrossFit experienced the troubles it experienced because the statement was made. I think CrossFit experienced the troubles it experienced because the statement was made and then the CEO doubled down on the statement that was made, right? And so Black Lives Matter is not about shaming white people into feeling so horrible that they don't say anything anymore. It's about recognizing that these are problems that that preconceived notions that you've had there. It's systemic, right? It's about recognizing it's a systemic problem. And so and learning and being open to criticism, right, that you won't melt 
in the fires of, of hell for being wrong and for recognizing and for somebody correcting you and somebody that is a BIPOC saying, no, that's incorrect. We don't like to be referred to as X, Y, or Z, or we don't like this to be a certain way. It's not to say, well, F you, you're wrong. It's about validating that experience because that person has more knowledge in that area than you and recognizing that you can course correct and nobody is too old to course correct. Beautiful. What a beautiful that. That end piece sounded a little personal. That sounded like a little poke. No one is too old to course correct. I, I felt like you might want to walk that back, Kristen. No, but it's true, right? Because I have I have people in my family that say things like, Well, I'm I'm at this point in my life where it's not gonna make a difference. But it's not about changing the world. It's a, it's about your everybody is a leader in their own home, in their own community, in their own business, in their own wherever you lead, people look to you as a leader. And so I don't care if you're 10 years old or 99 years old, it is never too late to say, I'm a leader and people are looking to me. I need to implement some of these things, even though they're not easy, even though they feel maybe silly or foreign or strange, it's important to step into that power and to continue to lead in a, in a way that's not just inclusive, but helps to dismantle the systemic issues that we have in this country. Even more beautiful. Perfect, perfect note for us to end on. Kristen Roberts, thank you so much for being with us. The website is Trestle Law, T-R-E-S-T-L-E, law, L-A-W.com, uh, or you can find her on any of the social media. Thank you so much for the work you're doing, and thank you for the time you've been with us. Alex Terranova, you can find him at thedreammason.com or uh, the Dream Mason podcast. You can get a, book, a copy of his book, Fictional Authenticity, wherever fine books are available. Anything else for you, Alex? Any final words? Or No, that's that was great. I learned a lot today. Thanks, Kristen. Thank you both so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. That's another edition of The Coaching Show. I'm Christopher McAuliffe. Uh, each week, bringing you somebody interesting, somebody useful, or something you just need to know about right here on Accomplishment Media or wherever fine podcasts are available. That's it for another edition of The Coaching Show. I thank you, dear listener, for giving us your time and attention, and we will talk to you next week. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to The Coaching Show. We will talk to you next week.